Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 3. Man, we made it all the way to chapter 3. It only took us 11 weeks. Amen. And Acts chapter 3 tonight. And uh, probably about 2027, we're going to make it all the way through the whole book of Acts. Uh, no, probably by the end of the year, uh, we'll probably find our way, uh, working our way to the end of the book. But we're going to start in verse chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 tonight. And last week, we talked about the inner life of the church. And we looked at the example of what happened immediately following Pentecost. The Bible says that those thousands that were saved, that they gladly received his word, they were baptized, they were added to the church, and and we see what happened in chapter 2 in the inner workings of that local church in Jerusalem. But I praise God that when God works, God doesn't want his work to stay in the local church. And that God wants it to go out. Before I read these passages, I want to share a, an illustration with you that I have shared before, I think. But years ago, I had the flu. And uh, it was uh, back in about 1997. So, Brother Mott, I don't think it was COVID. I think it might have. It was the flu. Uh, but I, I was sick. And I was taught. Uh, when I was growing up, if you were sick, you didn't call in sick, you crawled in sick to work. Uh, so I went to work, and I was working at a car lot as a mechanic in the wintertime, and I was in the shop, and my boss came out, and he's like, you look horrible. I'm like, thank you very much. He said, you look like you're going to die. I said, no, I think I'm going to live, I think. He said, have you taken any medicine yet? I said, no. I said, it's just a flu. And he said, well, here, come in the office. If you're going to work, at least take something. So he had these cold and flu Alka-Seltzer. I never had Alka-Seltzer before in my life. And they were cherry flavored. I remember that. And he gave me the pack of Alka-Seltzer. And then he said, I've got to go. I'll be back in an hour or something like that. I went in the shop. I'm looking around. And there was, there was no spigot. There was no cup for water. There was nothing for me to get a drink to drink. You know, how many of you have seen the commercial, pop, pop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. I'd seen the commercial, but I'd never drank the Alka-Seltzer. So I looked, and there was a pop machine there in the garage. And luckily, Brother Jerice isn't here tonight. Brother Bonnie, don't you tell him I said this. It was a Pepsi machine. (laughs) And I saw they had wild cherry Pepsi. Now, if you're going to backslide and drink Pepsi, that's the best one to drink. But I, I, I got the wild cherry because it was cherry Alka-Seltzer. I thought that's going to work well together. And I did something I don't recommend you doing. Bond, don't ever do this. I put the Alka-Seltzer in my mouth. I didn't have a cup. And then I tried to drink the Coke or the Pepsi with the Alka-Seltzer. It was going to use my body as a vessel. Brother Krim, you probably know what happened. It it didn't end well. My parents didn't raise me well. They didn't teach me how to do it. And I started foaming at the mouth. And the more I started foaming, I tried to drink more. And the more I'd drink, the more I'd foam. The more I'd drink, the more I'd foam. And I was about halfway through this can of Wild Cherry Pepsi when my boss had forgotten something. And he came back to the shop. And he walked in and saw me foaming at the mouth almost gagging, trying to drink that. He just looked at me, 
shook his head and walked right out. Now, what I didn't realize is if you put Alka-Seltzer in your mouth and you put soda in your mouth with Alka-Seltzer, you can't keep it in your mouth. It's not possible. It's going to work its way out. And by the way, God's plan is for the outreach and the ministry of the local church to get outside the doors of the local church. Now look here at verse 1 of Acts 3. Now Peter and John went up together in the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John and said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. Can I tell you that wasn't what he wanted to hear? But the next thing changed his life. But such as I have, give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him with the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Let's pray together. Lord, help us tonight. As we begin to examine chapter 3, as we think about the gospel and the work that you were doing going forth in the local church here in Jerusalem, outside the doors of the meeting place or home where they met, into the streets, Lord, I pray that as we see it, as we read it, as we study it, Lord, that we would see your pattern not only for Jerusalem, not only for this church, we read about in the book of Acts, but Lord, for every local church. Lord, for us today. Lord, help us and bless us tonight. Lord, help me to teach you right and preach you right your word this evening. Lord, may you be glorified. May you be uplifted. May we look to you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, in the end of chapter 2, we have a, a glimpse into the inside of this local church in Jerusalem, the inner workings. And then in Acts chapter 3, we have a picture of the outside activity or what happened out from that local church, so that gathering place, that community of believers connected together here in Jerusalem. Now, in these verses here, we're going to look at quickly tonight, we see the mission, we see the might, and we see the method of local church. We see all three of those things happening here. In other words, we see the church's job in the community, the church's job in its city, the church's job in the world today and then. You know, what is the church's job? What is the power to do the job? What's the way to do it? We're going to try to answer those questions very generally tonight and quickly as we look through the passage. Number one this evening, we see the mission, the mission of the church, the mission 
of the church. We, as we think about the mission of the church, we ask the question, what is it? We look here, if you will, back in chapter 2, uh, verses 41 through 47. We're going to backtrack a little bit. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers, and great fear, a fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, if all we do is look at this passage, as we look, as we look last week at the inner workings of the local church, and what happened after the gospel was preached at Pentecost, we could, if we were not careful, get the impression that the local church was just a, a mutual aid society, uh, that it was uh, just a place where people gathered and people were helped, and uh, that is and does entail part of the purpose of the local church. But I praise the Lord it did not end in verse 47 of chapter 2. In chapter 3, we see Peter and John going out and taking with them, as I mentioned, the gospel. And they said, I don't have silver and gold, but what I have give I thee. They gave them the truth of Christ. And we see that it went forth. In chapter 3, we learn the terms of service. Believers, Christians, are saved and baptized and joined the local church so they might serve. They might serve. Our service consists of taking life, taking life to a lame and a helpless society, taking life to those that have no life. We look carefully here in chapter 3, and we see the description of this lame man. I believe in chapter 3, as we see this man, we see a picture of the lost world. They have no hope. They have no help. They are helpless. They're lame spiritually. And we see this man was carried. He was there. He was laying. He was begging. We see a picture of a society without God. It was like that since birth. And by the way, there's no one here today that was born a Christian when you were born physically. I've heard people say, oh, I've just always been a Christian. I was born in a Christian home. Uh, I'm sorry, you were not born physically a Christian. You must be born again. Amen. Jesus said to Nicodemus, he says, not a matter of going back to your mother's womb. You have to be born again, a spiritual birth. And man without Christ is dead. Man without Christ is in need of spiritual birth. They're not alive. Notice hear that this man was more concerned about temporal needs and physical needs and spiritual needs. I've got a dear friend who pastors in West Virginia, my very, very close friend of my dad's. He and I have been soul winning many, 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 many times together. He's a, 
He's an unusual fellow. Uh, Pastor Blake is his name. And he, he asked a question when he and I were out soul winning together that I'd never heard anybody ask before. I remember the first time I was with him, we knocked the door. My dad knows the question. <laughs> he said, are you interested in spiritual things? And I thought, well, that's, a, that's kind of a dumb question. And then I thought, well, yeah, we want to talk about spiritual things here. And most people today are not interested in spiritual things. They, what can you give me? Uh, what can I get? But we see here this man, he wanted to get something, but he wasn't interested in spiritual things. But I praise God, although he wanted something else, that there were men that were willing to share spiritual things with him. Peter and John took the gospel and offered salvation to a man who had no hope. That's the job of the local church. That's the job of believers in every local church. That's to take the gospel outside the doors of wherever you meet, whether it be uh, in Iran secretly in a basement uh, for fear of being caught or in China uh, under covert uh, means because the government is watching or whether it be in a big giant uh, auditorium or in a small church building or a home, wherever that place is where the local church gathers, the purpose is to take the gospel outside the doors of that place out into the community out in the world. We see Peter and John did that. That was Jesus' program, by the way. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save. That one is lost. John 17, 18, John 20, 21, we see the same picture. But the mission of the church, the mission of the church, and Christian, don't, get, don't miss this. Let's not veer off course. The mission always has been and always shall be until Christ returns. The mission of the church is to rescue the perishing, to care for the dying, to snatch them in pity from the terrors of sin, to tell them of Jesus who can save them. I watched today on the way home I thought I was getting ready to watch someone lose their life. I watched a person go across the road on a bicycle, and a car came, and the bicyclist pulled out in front of the car, and the car just missed the bicyclist miraculously. I was waiting at a stoplight. I was watching it happen from here to, like, to the back door. And as I watched it, the thought that went through my mind is I thought, oh, no, that, that lady is going to be hit. I made a decision before it happened. I thought if she gets hit, I'm jumping out of my car, and I'm going to run there as long as she's got breath. I'm going to try to tell her about Jesus Christ. And praise the Lord, just by mere millimeters, her life was spared. But today there were people who their life wasn't spared, who went off into eternity, and I wonder how many never heard. I wonder how many in the shadow of a church building. I wonder how many in a community where there's a growing, thriving church that has the gospel of Jesus Christ died today and went to hell, having never heard. I'm not talking about places where there's no gospel. I'm not talking about places where there's no missionaries, no churches, no witness. I'm talking about where there are local churches, there are people who are dying and going to hell because no one has ever told them. 
But the mission of the local church is to get the gospel out. Number two, the might of the church. So what was the power here in Acts chapter 3? When Peter and John were going forth and to the beautiful gate and they saw this man, was it the power of Peter? Was it the power of John? Certainly not. What is the church's power today to deal with such desperate need as lame and helpless humanity? It's not material power. It's not the power of money. I praise God money is a tool and God, God uses that tool. The love of money, the Bible speaks of, being the root of all evil, not money itself. Money is all moral. But money is just a tool. That's not the power. We see that in verse 6. It says, And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. Now that doesn't mean that we can't help folks and financially uh, minister to help the needs of folks. I believe as we can do that, uh, it's a wonderful tool to do as we share Christ. But Peter said, I don't, I don't got any silver and gold. I don't, I don't believe that God would record Peter saying something that was a lie. I, I don't think he had a pocket full of money and said, got no silver and gold. I don't think they had anything. They're like, buddy, we're just as broke as you are. We got nothing. It wasn't the power of money. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Can I, can I say that the power was not the power of personality? I don't think that Peter and John were great personalities. I believe they had big personalities. I believe, I believe Peter was in, an in-your-face kind of guy. But I don't think he was a persuasive public speaker. I, I, don't, I don't think he was a, a Zig Ziglar of the gospel. Rather, it says they took knowledge of them that they were ignorant and unlearned, but they could tell they'd been with Jesus. It's been said of D.L. Moody, Mr. Moody, as he preferred to be called. It was said that Mr. Moody, a man who shook two continents for Christ, in a day where it took days and days and days to cross the ocean, a man that saw thousands of people come to Christ, it is said of Mr. Moody, for thus he would ask to be called, that his speech was so horrible that he could say the word Mesopotamia in one syllable. He wasn't a great orator, but he had a great God. Can I tell you, the church's power is not the power of personality. Say, well, Pastor, God can't use me. I just can't speak to people. I, I don't have that ability. That's not the power God needs. Now, God can use personality. God used the Apostle Paul. Paul had that personality. God used an Apollos. An Apollos who I believe was an amazing public speaker. God could use that, but God doesn't have to have that. That's not the power he needs. 
Peter and John, when they went out, it wasn't the, the power of money or finances. It wasn't the power of personality. In verse 4, it says, And Peter fastened his eyes on him with John said, Hey, look on us. That's probably what it sounded like. It doesn't give you the accent marks here uh, in the New Testament. But I'm sure it wasn't, look on us. <laughs> Peter was pretty rough. Hey, look at me. I'm going to tell you something. It wasn't personality. It wasn't money. <laughs> it wasn't the power of human eloquence. It was the power of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to look at the words that God gave Peter to say. Verse 5, and he gave heed to them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Christian, the power that we need today to get the gospel out the doors of this building and into our world is the power of the name of Jesus Christ. It, it, it's not, oh, if we just had this tool, if we just had uh, more of an a influence digitally, if we, if we just had more of this, and if we had a bigger building, no, can I tell you, that's not the answer. Those aren't bad things, but that's not the power we need. The power we need is the power of the name of Jesus Christ. As John uh, and Peter went out, it was the power that God used to rescue that lame man from his lameness, the power the world needs to rescue them from being lame in the power of sin is the name of Jesus Christ. The church of God, the church of God is only powerful as she lifts, exalts, and preaches Jesus Christ. Christian, may we never forget that we need to lift up Jesus. It's the only power. Although that's why it's foolish, and I believe beyond foolish, sinful, to try to make much of a movement or a denomination. I am an independent Baptist. I am so because I believe uh, independent Baptist is the closest thing I find to biblical Christianity in the local church. But I'll tell you what I am first. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Every independent Baptist can, can go and live for the devil and I'm not changing because I'm going to make much of Christ. That's right. Amen. Christ is what we lift up. Not, well, I feel this way or I think this. No, we need to lift up Christ. That's right. Amen. The power of Christ. A church is never great because of numbers. A church is never great because of finance or good preaching or the reputation in the world. That doesn't make a great church. That's not the definition or the, the calling cards or the ingredients of a great church. The only true might any church has, any local church, is the might of the Lord himself. Look at verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power... Oh, holiness, we made this man to walk. Peter said, hey, hey, fellas, this wasn't me. This wasn't John. This was Jesus. Remember him? You killed him. He rose again. He's still alive. And he's powerful. 
It's the power of Christ, not the power of man. That was the only might that Peter would claim. In verse 16, it says, In his name, through faith in his name, made this man strong. I love that. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. The mission of the church, we talked about it a while ago, the mission of the church is to go out and save men and women. And the might of the church to do that work, the might of the church to fulfill the mission of the church is the power of Christ, the power of the Lord himself. Lastly tonight, number three, what is the method? We see the mission. What am I to do? When I think of the word mission, I think of a dear, dear friends of mine in Aurora, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. For a few years, my wife and I had the privilege of restarting a bus ministry there for our church. And a dear family there that, were, that rode my bus was the Maloney family. The Malonies were Navajo. Mrs. Maloney, Grandma Maloney, she's still living. She might be watching tonight. If you are Miss Maloney, can you please deliver me some Navajo tacos here soon? And uh, I love Mrs. Maloney. She's the sweetest, sweetest lady in the world. Man, she can make a mean Navajo taco. And her and her kids, and uh, they're all grown. Mrs. Maloney is probably in her 80s now. And she had a grandson. Two of her grandsons lived with her. And uh, her daughter, dear sweet lady, her and her husband and family go to a good church there in that area now. And I just talked to them last week. But the boys, they were teenagers at the time, the grandkids. Now they're grown men with families of their own. But they used to ask me, Brother Brian, can we go on a secret mission? Now when they said, can we go on a secret mission, what they meant would you, would you take us to the Mexican restaurant to get burritos? And uh, every once in a while, I'll get a, a note from uh, one of the Maloney daughters. Uh, Brother Brian, are you been taking any secret missions lately? Now, the mission of the church is to share the gospel. What's the method, though, to make it happen, number three? A few thoughts about that tonight. Number one, the method of the church here in Jerusalem Their method was one of divine cooperation. It was the Lord. It was the Lord on the throne, on the right hand of the Father, working with and through Peter and John. Would you turn to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16? Hold your place in Acts. We'll come back in just a moment. Mark chapter 16 and verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere. Now I want you to to read the next few words with me. The Lord working with them. Now hold on. The verse before says, where's Jesus? He's in heaven. It says that they went forth preaching. 
but we see a divine cooperation. A divine cooperation between God and heaven and those on the earth doing the work of God. The Lord was doing His work. Can I tell you that is His work? Your work and my work is not giving eternal life. That's not my work. Brother Herman is a good man. His wife told me so. I guarantee you, if Brother Herman could give eternal life to somebody, he'd do it. If he had the power to give eternal life, he'd do it. He, but he doesn't. He can't give eternal life. By the way, I can't give eternal life either. And a church can't give eternal life. That's his work. His work. There was a divine cooperation. Now, hold on. Lest we veer off into false doctrine that many are going off the road into. Let's not sit down and say, well, that's God's work. I'll sit here. God's going to do his work. It's going to happen. The Bible tells us in the book of Mark, they went forth, notice that verse, and preached. And when they did, God worked. We see a divine cooperation. Christian, God wants to minister with us in the local church as we go forth. That is the method. Number one, a divine cooperation. It was not Peter and John doing the work. They were available. They were used by God. They were cooperating with God. Number two, the method here was one of human cooperation. How many of you think Peter and John always had the same ideas? How many of you think it would have been a rare thing if Peter and John ever had the same idea? Probably so. I'm sure many times during the course of following Christ... I'm sure there are many times that John said, Peter, you're an idiot. What, what are you doing? I'm sure there are many times that Peter looked at John and said, Man, John, I wish you'd just man up. Why are you going to be such a wimp? I, I'm pretty sure that they, you know, they were made differently. God made them differently on purpose. Understand here, they didn't always agree. They didn't always have the same ideas. But I love the fact that they were cooperating. It wasn't just Peter. It wasn't just John. It was Peter and John as they went forth. And God used not only his divine cooperation, but also we see human cooperation. Christian, can I tell you that's one of the vital things of the local church. And the way that we get the gospel out the door of this building by the power of the Spirit is as we work together and cooperate together and share Christ together. And we see that pictured here as they went out to this lame man, as we're to take the gospel to a lame world. Did you know there's a variety of people in a local church? Different backgrounds? Why is that? Because God wants to use us all. I was talking to my bone doc on Monday. It was pretty funny. He's a, he's a great big man, brother, my little fella, about this tall. Wonderful fella. I really like him. And as he was having me move my arms and tell me to you know, do this and do that, and, you know, I was doing the hokey pokey and whatever I was doing, uh, Simon says, or he had my arms out in front, and he said, okay. He said, now I'm, I'm going to 
slowly push your arms apart. And before he did it, I said to him, I said, Doc, do you want me to let you push my arms? I didn't know. Maybe he was supposed to move my arms. And he said, no. He said, try not to let me push my arms apart. I looked at him and I said, Doc, if I don't want you to push my arms, there's no way you can push my arms apart. And I laughed. He said, yeah, fair enough. Uh, he's about this big. Uh, there was no way he was pushing my arms apart. Now, he and I are built totally differently. We're totally different people. Can I tell you, all of us are different. And one of the reasons that's the case in a local church, I'm glad we're not all the same because we would be missing some parts. I'm glad not every bone in my body is my collarbone because uh, I'd really be in a mess. Uh, no, there's lots of bones that make up the body. Why? Because there are different bones needed. And in the body of Christ in a local church, we see the differential, different things working together, Peter and John. And we see that human cooperation, how vital that is the, as the method of getting the gospel out. Number three, verse six and seven. Look back there in Acts three with me. By the way, lest I forget, immediately following the service, anybody that can stay and help, we need, we need a good bit of help after the service before I forget uh, while you're looking there. Uh, Acts chapter three. And verse number, let's see, verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him with the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Number three, their method consisted of going out to contact the world. Christian, can I tell you that the cult... Let me say that word again and make sure you get it. The cult of the Catholic Church is not, is not spiritual and is not biblical in the thinking of we've got to have a monastery and get everybody together and stay together and, and you know, hum and, and say our prayers together and just be together. Can I tell you that's not spiritual? Not, not only are they so wrong doctrinally, so far out in left field, but even the idea of spirituality is so skewed. Spirituality is going out and reaching the world. Jesus didn't say, okay, I'm just going to spend time with you folks. I don't want to see the world. What did he say? Hey, let the kids come to me. There's a wonderful song that the Clark family sings that sometime soon maybe we'll finally take time, our family, to sing. One of my favorite songs the song is, how can we ever reach a world we never touch? Boy, Christian, how true is that? We can't reach a world we never touch. The local church went outside the doors of the building and their place, and their method was to go and contact the world. You know why they got mad at Jesus, the religious crowd? Because he ate with publicans and sinners. By the way, Jesus didn't eat with publicans and sinners because he wanted to be liked by them. Because he wanted to be like them. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Christian, we ought to be reaching out to the lost. If you don't have someone that is lost that you are actively trying to reach out to, I dare say that you're living in sin. And I'm living in sin. 
we ought to actively be reaching out to a lost world. We see Peter and John. They went out. They were reaching the lost. They were contacting the world. Notice they took him by the right hand and helped him up. I'm willing to bet that guy stunk, Brother Mutt. I'm willing to bet that guy hadn't had a bath in a long time. He, he probably been around the bad crowd on the streets. But I praise God that Peter and John were willing to grab him by the hand and lift him up. They were willing to touch the world around them. The method of the local church reaching the world was they were willing to go and contact the world. We see that in Psalm 126, Matthew 28, Mark 5, as I mentioned. So vital. Number four, quickly. Their method was primarily spiritual. Christian, we try, to, we try to pragmatize so much in the Christian life. We try to pragmatize work, and we try to be effective in ministry by being effective in little things. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But Christian, let us never miss the reality that the work of God is a spiritual activity. It's a spiritual activity. Verses 7 through 9, the Bible says, And he took him with the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he, leaping up, stood, walked, and entered with them to the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. He was healed physically, but more importantly, he was saved spiritually. The gospel is a social matter, but primarily spiritual. It's spiritual. I believe we ought to help meet physical needs. It's been said people want to know how much you care before they care how much you know. I believe there's some truth in that. There is some pragmatism in that. I think that's not wrong. But God help us when we don't put the emphasis on the spiritual because it is a spiritual activity. The method of the local church is spiritual. Every bit of the social outreach of the church today is spirit, should be spiritual. We ought to minister to the physical, material, and temporal needs, but we must always understand the greatest need is spiritual. You see someone that's struggling, you say, oh, that person needs this or they need that. And they do have those needs. But ultimately, every person has a spiritual need. That the person that drove by that was driving that car that you went, wow, I wish I could have a car like that. I wish I was that successful. I uh, wish I had that kind of a job and I made that kind of money and I had all of that. Can I tell you that person that has what you think is everything they need and needs nothing can I tell you, most of those dear folks, they have a spiritual need. That one that's struggling and barely able to stay standing up because they've half drunk or half on drugs. Tonight, as I was coming to church, I watched a guy amble across the street during a red light. And I noticed sticking out of the back of his bag a half-drunk bottle of booze. So, man, that, that guy needs a shower. He, he needs some clothes. He needs a job. He needs stability. Most likely the greatest need he has is spiritual. You see, we, we see all the outer layers. But if we really get to the core, every person has a spiritual need. Every person has a spiritual need. 
And the method was mainly spiritual. We need to realize the importance of that. Number five. And we'll close with this thought tonight. Their method was empowered and made effective by prayer. Their method was empowered and made effective by prayer. When I was in grade 12, my senior year of high school, I got a job the summer before working for Long John Silver's. Uh, it's a fast food fish and chips place in the States. Pretty disgusting now, but uh, my dad will tell you, they're pretty, they've gone downhill. Since I left, it's just gone to pot. Uh, but I, I work there, and how many have ever worked in fast food before? You ever done the fast food, the McDonald's, the, all of that? How many of you remember how greasy and nasty the floors got and disgusting they were? I was working with my boss one day, the manager, and his name was Eddie. And Eddie's like, man, Brian, how can we clean these floors? I said, man, I got an idea. I said, this is grease, right? He said, yeah. I said, what if we try using more chemicals? He's like, that's a great idea. You know, chemicals are always the answer. Men always have the right answer. Uh, so we got, and I don't remember who came up with the idea. We got Tide powdered laundry detergent. We got bleach. We got, I think we even put ammonia. Just wonder we didn't die. Uh, ammonia. We put uh, dish soap. We had all kinds of <laughs> just dumping stuff in. It was like a witch's cauldron bubbling up. And, but man, hottest water we could get. When we mopped the floors with that stuff, the grease was gone. I mean gone. I mean, everybody died that smelled the gas, but the grease was gone. It was unbelievable. We, we were joking, man, we should sell this concoction. Man, it really takes the grease up. After about four months, we took all the grout out of our tile. <laughs> Literally ate the grout from between the, between the tile. Uh, they had to come in and repair the floor because... We used too much chemical. <laughs> now, we got the grease up. We almost took the tiles off the floor. Now, can I tell you the power that gets mixed in to make it effective for the method is prayer. Look, if you will, here in verse 1. Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. Can I tell you why Peter and John went out? They were going to pray for the power of God. I love the fact that as they were on their way to pray for God's power, God said, let me show you what I want to do with my power. Let me show you what I can do. The temple prayer meeting was probably dead, but Peter and John were there. We see the secret of their power. Prayer. Matthew 6, 6, we see united prayer. We see Peter and John there. Matthew 18, 19, we see corporate prayer. We see a time of prayer. Look at Acts chapter 12. And we'll close with this verse. Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer. Those two little words, but prayer. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church of God for him. Martin Luther wrote, by the way, I love the fact that Mr. Luther, although he was a, a lost Catholic man, finally read the Bible, and he read the book of Romans, and went, this isn't what I've been taught. 
I wish he'd have kept reading uh, and thrown out the church of Rome. But as he read and understood more of the gospel, he started to understand the truth, but didn't get everything right, but he got a few things right. And Mr. Luther wrote, the prayers of the saints are the decrees of God beginning to operate. What a powerful thought. Prayer empowers and makes effective the method of the local church. Christian, our job is not just to become better Christians, although that's part of our, part of our goal. Our job's not just to learn this book better, although that ought to be part of our goal. Our job as local church is not just to teach and preach the word of God, although that should be part of the job of the local, it's part of the job of the local church. Our mission is to get the gospel outside the doors of this building. The power is the power of God. God doesn't need your intellect. He doesn't need your personality. He just needs you to go. And it's his method. He, he working with us. We working together. And we see that power given as we go, as we touch others and share Christ as we pray and ask him to do his work. Let's pray and do so tonight. Lord, thank you, Lord, for being able to do above and beyond all that we ask and think. Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us to get the gospel outside the doors of this building. Lord, I pray it would be very much like that Alka-Seltzer that would be mixed together and, Lord, the excitement for the gospel and the excitement for the answer for the world would be so great that we just could not hold back the gospel from going out the doors of this building. Lord, I pray it would bubble forth. I pray it would go out of this building with great trajectory. And Lord, I pray that we would reach our Jerusalem and beyond. Lord, thank you for your power. Lord, help us to realize it's not us, not our power and abilities you need. You just need our availability. God, help us to keep our focus where it ought to be. And Lord, we ask for you. As we pray tonight, we ask you to empower and embolden us as we share Christ. Lord, bless us now. Lord, be with us as we're dismissed. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you be glorified for our gathering together tonight. In your precious name we pray. Amen.